Welcome to Beyond the Boardroom with me, Kieran Paul. Now, this is the third of our new News in Brief episodes, where I am joined by Insightia's Rebecca Sherritt and Antoinette Giblin. And also today, Will Arnott, another member of our fine editorial team. Today, we will be discussing the top stories we think you need to know. So welcome again, Rebecca and Antoinette. Thanks, Kieran. Happy as always to be here. Good to be back, Kieran. And Will, good to have you on. Thank you. It's uh, been about nine months since I was last on, so it's good to be back. It will not be another nine months before you're on again, I promise you. Depends how good you are, though. No pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Antoinette, last month uh, you said Carl Icahn's campaign at Illumina was worth keeping an eye on. Um, How has the campaign developed since we last spoke? Yes, Kieran, this is one of the ones we mentioned in our last episode, um, Carl Icahn's campaign at Illumina, and that's a DNA sequencing provider. And that was one of the campaigns we had been watching and we mentioned the last time. So since then, in early April, the US Federal Trade Commission ordered Illumina to unwind its seven billion acquisition of cancer test developer Grail. And Grail, this is the business arm that activist investor Carl Icahn wants divested, and he has been calling for that for some time now. And he has highlighted that Illumina has to fund Grail to the tune of $800 million annually without being able to realise synergies because it cannot integrate the business. And that's his argument that he has been putting forward. And since then, now he has warned against any continued battles against regulators to obtain the approval to just abandon that pursuit altogether. And then, of course, Illumina, on the other hand, and on the other side of the argument, um, they've been describing Grail as a major growth engine, and they have described it as having massive potential for the company uh, moving forward. Um, But Icon has gone um, a step further now. In recent weeks, he has asked um, some of the larger investor groups, including the likes of Vanguard and BlackRock, to support his push now for an investigation um, into the actions surrounding that acquisition of Grail. Um, So he's um, trying to um, gather up support from the investor base there uh, to put forward the investigation into that acquisition. So um, he's also uh, targeting three board seats as well. And that AGM is one we'll be watching closely and it's scheduled to take place on the 25th of May. So a lot happening there. Another really interesting development is the fact that Icon has also campaigned for investors to oppose Illumina's upcoming pay plan at the annual meeting. Illumina's proxy statement revealed that CEO Francis D'Souza is actually set to receive a pretty hefty $27 million for his work in 2022, which is an 87% pay rise compared to the roughly $14 million he was awarded in 2021. Icon was really not very happy with this saying that such a big rise is hard to justify, given that the company's lost around $50 billion in market value in less than two years. And of course, as of May 2nd, which is the day we're recording this, short seller Hindenburg Research has also shorted Icon's namesake conglomerate, claiming it's vastly overvalued. Yes, and that could get tasty. Uh, And because it's a breaking story, you can read more on it over on our activist shorts newswire. Uh, now sticking with you, Rebecca, what's your pick for the top news story in recent weeks? I actually found Legal and General Investment Management's 12th Annual Active Ownership Report really interesting. 
For those that don't know, Legal in General is one of Europe's largest institutional investors, representing around 1.4 trillion in assets, and it's a very influential fund manager, especially when it comes to ESG. Its latest report delves into some of the big reasons why the fund manager voted against certain management proposals, and one stat that really caught my eye was that the fund manager opposed 56% of all pay-related proposals it voted on globally last year. To give you a figure for comparison, globally, BlackRock has only opposed between 10-20% to of all pay-related management proposals every year for at least the past six years. So as you can see, a 56% opposition rate is a really big deal. And this pushback towards pay is mainly because Legal in general has a lot of concerns regarding the reputational risks associated with awarding executives these big pay raises at a time when inflation keeps creeping up and various countries are dealing with quite serious cost of living concerns. In discussions with us, Legal in general did say they expect to oppose a similar number of pay plans this season also. And on that report as well, Rebecca, I noticed that diversity was also a, a major theme coming out there. Um, Legal in general for 2022, um, it was the first time that Legal in general voted against FTSE 100 and S&P 500 companies due to a lack of board level ethnic diversity. And it also revealed that eight portfolio companies were engaged on that very basis with votes against applied to one particular company. So Legal in general also revealed in its report that it's going to expand this now as it moves ahead to the FTSE 250 and the Russell 1000 indices as well. So expanding that out further. And the fund manager also voted against 70 FTSE 100 and S&P 500 companies for having an all male executive committee. And they were warning that this season it will expand all US company boards to be made up of at least one third women. So diversity, very much um, a strong theme there to that report as well. And then Antoinette, sticking with you, what recent news story caught your eye? Yeah, Kieran. Well, we've been very busy on the newswire and elsewhere, but um, Primo Water was one that um, it's it's an interesting campaign because it's been it's been evolving a lot in in recent weeks. So. Um, Primo Water, um, one of the many campaigns we've covered in recent weeks, and that's involving Legion Partners, the activist investor. So Legion returned to this particular company on the 7th of March, three years after it abandoned a campaign following the company's decision at the time to sell itself. So there are a number of concerns. Um, First of all, in in a heated battle, the activist has argued um, that the board has been a landing spot for its ex-CEOs. So it's very much um, considering its history and considering, um, I suppose, the prior campaign it would have had at Primo Water as well, going back a number of years. It's also concerned over um, performance overall. It has said that the company has largely failed to grow its customer base as it should have in line with peers or to create any meaningful value for its shareholders. So it's been putting forward all of those arguments. Um, and it has put forward itself a four person slate, um, but that slate was rejected by Primo. Um, they described that slate as invalid because of what they described as um, intentional misrepresentations and false information. So that went on for a while. Um, it concerned two particular candidates on that four person slate. Um, those two candidates, Henrik Gellert and Laurie 
October Marcus. I hope I'm pronouncing those correctly. Um, so since then, Legion moved on to sue Primo to in a bid to revert that decision. And they were also at the time seeking a declaration by the Ontario Superior Court of Justice that Primo's actions to alter its advance notice bylaws in November were oppressive and unfairly prejudicial to Legion. So anyway, um, as I said, a lot has happened in the campaign. But about two weeks ago, Primo Water agreed eventually to validate Legion partners remaining to director nominees, accepting a proposal put forward, a proposal of settlement offered up by Legion. Um, and that cleared the way for the Act was now to target four of the 10 board seats on offer at the annual meeting. And that annual meeting is now going to be held at the end of May um, on May 31st. So definitely one we'll be keeping an eye on. I will also say uh, for listeners wanting to read more about Primo Water, we delve into this campaign in a fair bit of detail in a recent in-depth report published on the Newswire, which explores the growth of activists revisiting previous targets to address their unfinished business. Uh, so that is definitely well worth a read for anyone who might be interested in the big campaigns and activism trends more broadly. And Rebecca, while you're referencing our in-depth offering as well, I just want to very briefly mention another recent in-depth by a member of our team, and that's Joe Taylor. Uh, and it was also later featured in Fortune. So that particular in-depth examined boomerang CEOs with the number of CEOs being reappointed after a spell on the sidelines increasing in recent years, showing that in times of crisis, um, the larger, more prominent companies seem to be turning to the tried and tested options when it comes to leaders. So definitely worth a read if you haven't already got around to it. Excellent. Yes, I agree with that. Certainly worth a read. Uh, now, Will, as part of our vulnerability offering, uh, we also published an insightful report on Talus Energy. You authored this piece. Uh, what motivated you to write this particular report? Um, so as part of one of the many offerings we have on the website, there's a tool section that allows clients and customers to be able to look for the most vulnerable companies out there. And using that, I identified Talos as a potential target for activists because they had some interesting statistics around some opposition towards directors in the past, say on pay revolt, things like that. So it, it made for an interesting prospect. And what demands do you think that an activist could be making here? So I've extensively written vulnerability reports on companies in the past, and I've always been very wary of suggesting that a company should be sold. But Talos was the first company where I thought it, I was comfortable in making that recommendation. They operate in a very merger-friendly sector. I think six companies in their most recent proxy peer group have merged together within the last five years, which is very unusual for any other sector. That made it something that I thought was able to be suggested. They've also got quite high debt, but they've got some underlying statistics in terms of their sort of ability to generate revenue, which could make it an interesting target for an activist. Well, thank you for that, Will. Uh, now, we've got a pretty busy month, as always, ahead for shareholder engagements. Is there anything specific that you guys are keeping an eye on in the coming weeks? 
Yes, it is that busy season now, Kieran. but definitely one that um, will be on the radar is Tesla. Their annual meeting is coming up on the 16th of May um, and there are a number of items that are going to face a vote on that particular day. So a shareholder alliance that includes SOC Investment Group and NIA Impact Capital, um, they have argued that electing former Tesla tech chief JB Straubel as a director would reduce the board's capacity to rein in the company's CEO Elon Musk and they have described him as the overly influential CEO Elon Musk. So Tesla, to give you a bit of background um, on this particular candidate, Tesla nominated Straubel to its staggered eight-person board as a class one director to replace Hiro Misuno. Um, and he he would have joined, Straubel would have joined Tesla in 2004 and spent a considerable amount of time at the company, 14 years in all, um, as the company's chief technology officer. So a lot of history with the company. Um, and he left then in 2019 to focus on leading um, an e-waste recycling company uh, known as Redwood Materials. So, um, as I said, Sock and Nia and six other Tesla shareholders have, have banded together and they sent a letter to the investor base um, arguing that replacing um, the independent director with Strobel would not be appropriate um, simply because their argument being based on the fact that it would strengthen the ties between the board and Musk. So um, Musk's influence very much uh, being a, a big focus there for that particular investor group. They're not the only shareholders that have come out against uh, Tesla director nominee, however. John Cheverden has uh, submitted a letter of exempt solicitation calling for shareholders to vote against Executive Pay Committee Chair Ira Aaron Preyas. So this uh, this letter of exempt solicitation came out following uh, the chair's recommendation that shareholder votes on executive compensation be held every three years. And Cheverden's very very behind the idea that shareholders should be able to vote on uh, executive pay every one year and cited a failed vote at AutoNation a few weeks ago where the um, management recommended that the vote was every three years and shareholders said, no, we want to be able to vote every single year. It's also going to be interesting for um, people that are interested in such things to have a look at the uh, say on pay vote at Canadian convenience store and gas station company Parkland's uh, upcoming annual meeting, which I think is on May 4th. Engine Capital came out a couple of weeks ago and has said to shareholders, do not vote for these particular directors because of the uh, CEO pay package for Robert Esprey, who's seen a 23% pay bump, and it was set to earn $5.3 million in 2022. It's interesting because this story came out the same day that the leader of Canada's new Democratic Party, Jack Meet Singh, announced that he's going to be introducing new legislation targeting businesses with excessive CEO pay ratios with higher corporate income taxes. Well, thanks, Will. And uh, yeah, that is certainly one to keep an eye on. And uh, finally, Rebecca, then, what are, what are you keeping an eye out on? Uh, personally, I'm really interested to see how all the big US pharmaceutical company AGMs go this season. The likes of Moderna, Pfizer, Eli Lilly, just to name a few of them. In the past year or two, these companies have faced a lot of pressure from investors regarding COVID-19 vaccine accessibility. These companies have faced proposals not only concerning vaccine reporting, but also the distribution of vaccines in third world countries. 
the feasibility of transferring vaccine technology to third parties, and how their lobbying and political spending align with their publicly stated values on vaccine accessibility. A lot of these proposals averaged around 30% support last year, so I'm really interested to see if support increases this time around. Okay, well, thanks, Rebecca and Antoinette. Uh, I'll see you next time. And Will, reckon you fancied doing this all over again sometime? If you insist. Well, there you go. I always do. So uh, that's it for today's episode. Uh, Remember to download our latest report, Corporate Governance in Australia, which is the definitive review of all things shareholder activism, proxy voting and stewardship throughout the country. I'm Kieran Paul and I'll see you next time.